Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices that we make. I'm your host, Kelly Phillips-Zerb, for Tax Girl. I'm a practicing tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. When it comes to tax and technology, our understanding of the implementation often ends at my clients upload their data to the cloud. But there's so much more to tax and technology than the cloud. To talk about technology and what it can bring to the tax profession, I've asked one of the pioneers in the space to the program. Jody Paydar was the CEO and principal of the New Vision CPA Group, a public accounting firm based in the Chicago area for 14 years. Now she is vice president of strategy at Botkeeper. Jody is a highly sought after speaker and thought leader in the tax and accounting profession. She is the author of The Radical CPA, New Rules for the Future Ready Firm, a book that sparked a movement within the accounting profession focusing on four tenets, cloud technology, social business, value pricing, and process. And she is a regular contributor to a number of industry publications. She has also recently authored a new book, Botkeeper for Dummies. So in terms of experience and what she can bring to this discussion today, I'm really excited to have Jody on the show. I've actually known her for a number of years. I'm sure those of you who have been in the profession for a bit have seen us around at various events. So thank you so much, Jody, for being on the show today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, Kelly. Yeah. So you and I have talked about this like a zillion times, but I don't think we've actually ever talked about it in public. I think we've talked about it like in between things. So I'm really excited to have this discussion today because I do think that um, I've had folks on the show talking about technology before. And this is something I've, you know, I've interviewed folks about this for Forbes, but I think a lot of times, and this doesn't apply to obviously to all of the tax profession, but there are some folks in the profession and also the tax legal profession who've been a little resistant to change in technology. And so they've made baby steps. So they've gotten to the My clients upload their data to the cloud, but that's where they've kind of stopped. And I think a lot of that has to do with fear, right? About what that means for the profession. So I was wondering if you could maybe start out by saying why you're excited about tax and technology and why you're not scared of it. So this is, I mean, this is what I love, right? And this is what's pretty cool about it is we've gone to school to learn about tax and to do taxes. And, you know, really good tax people aren't data input people. They actually understand the tax law, right? And that's who your audience is. But I think because we've spent so much time just doing the work, getting the data in to get the compliance piece done, to get what we need to process out, we don't always have the time to think about doing good tax planning or to really understand the implications of the law on our taxpayers' specific situation. And what automation does and what technology does is it gives us that time back now. And so if we can embrace it and we can really utilize the transfer and the automation and kind of the way that the data is going to be in the returns, then actually we can do what we're good at and we can actually think and we can do tax planning and we can strategize. And I think that's what most professionals want to do, but you're so tired during tax season that it's hard, right? Because we're just like, so like, we got to get the returns done. We got to get them out the door. And sometimes I even think we do our clients a little bit of a disservice because we don't have those fresh eyes to look at them. But if we can embrace tax and technology together, then guess what? Then we can actually put that strategy around it and we can do the stuff 
that really we were trained to do and that really actually offers the most benefit to our clients and I would say to the world as a whole. Right. And I actually think one of the reasons that we're having this discussion more now is exactly one of the things you just touched on, this idea of time. I think that, you know, especially in a in a post-pandemic world, right, this last tax season was a real turning point, I think, for a lot of tax professionals. They really did feel like tax season never ended, and they felt like all they did was push out paper. And I think that now people are kind of taking a breath and thinking, how can this be different? It's implementing, there's lots of different ways that people are thinking about how it can be different. I had Donald Nelson on the show and he was talking about, you know, this app that they built that was helping them. Like, I think there's actually a lot of potentially cool stuff that's happening and stuff that's already happened, but we haven't embraced it yet, right? Right. Because of this notion of wanting to get time back. Right. And I think there's so much stuff out there that people don't even realize is out there, right? So when you think about automation, do you know that you can take 12 months worth of bank statements, you can automate it and basically create a financial? So if you think about old school write-up work that then went to tax return, Mm -hmm. like at the end of the year, you take a bunch of bank statements, you put them through, I'll say a machine, it's like really a computer program, right? But you put them through a machine, right? And now you have a complete set of financials. I mean, that's crazy, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's happening today, right? That's what people don't understand is that the ability to manipulate data is happening today. And now if you actually have that write-up work done, now you can actually go prepare that Schedule C or go prepare that S-Corp return. And you can think about it because you didn't spend eight hours just getting the data in to get to the tax return, right? Like you actually have those those financials that can then help you to move forward and faster. And I think what's interesting is, is because I live in this world, like it's like, oh yeah, it does that. But I forget how many tax professionals really don't know how far technology has advanced just because I don't think they put their heads up sometimes, right? Like we're so buried in tax season that we don't look up to say, oh, well, there's an easier way to do this. Or if we change this process, we could get some time back. Right. And going back to the idea of getting time back, I know that one of the things that spooks a lot of people about AI, machine learning, any kind of technological advance is that they fear that somehow it's going to take their job away. And it's interesting because one of the things that you just mentioned is this idea that if you're not spending time putting data in, then you do have, I think you said, fresh eyes, right? Fresh eyes to look at an S-Corp return and see, is this the best result for the client? Is there something we can do differently next year? Is there something that stands out at me as a potential audit trigger that we ought to think about a different way to characterize or to annotate or, you know, do a little differently? And I think it's, it's really fascinating to me that I think of it as job security, but a lot of people really do look at it as a potential threat to their jobs. Do you encounter this when you talk about technology? I do. And I think people are a little bit afraid of it, but then they forget as to how far technology has come, that they're doing things differently today than they did 20 years ago, but they forget that really their job changed and yet they were able to evolve with it, right? Right. So my favorite, you know, we had briefly talked about this, but if you think about tax research, right? Think about how you used to have to go to those tissue paper binders and look up things in tax research, right? Mm -hmm. And then they came the CDs and most people still had to go like look up tax research according to the tables and, you know, know really how to do it. 
And now people just Google tax research, right? And so, and if you think about 20 years ago, could you imagine going back to not Googling for tax research? Oh, I know. Like you can't even think about it, right? Or, or asking, so we have in our area in Philly, we have a, a law library, Jenkins Law Library. And so because we were a smaller firm, we didn't have an entire legal library in our office, but we could, if we needed to pull a case or if we needed to do some research, we could call up Jenkins and they could fax it over to us, right? So this was like super fast and efficient. And now it's literally, I can, you know, open up and go to Bloomberg and just pull it now. You know, it's a completely different world. Right. And yet that was just 20 years ago, right? Or maybe a little bit. And so when we look back, we think, wow, like when we started doing that, did we think, oh, we were going to lose our jobs because no one was going to know how to research or like everyone was going to Google things, right? Obviously, that hasn't happened, right? You still need context. You still need education. You still need experience. And so those are the the intangibles that we as tax professionals bring to the profession. And we should still hold on to those, right? And then let automation take care of the things that it can automate, right? Anything that's repetitive, anything that you don't want to do, let the automation take care of it so that then you can do the good stuff. Maybe it's even building client relationships. And so then when people say, oh, well, you know, I'll lose my job or it's so funny because I, I always think, well, there's so much work already to get done. And yet, if you look at to the, the status of the age of the profession, right, how many boomers are retiring. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think automation is going to take our jobs. I think it's just going to change our jobs. And I actually think it's going to help evolve our jobs so we can do better stuff. And I, I think, again, too, if you look at other things like social media, when social media first came out, people thought, oh, it's going to, you know, it's going to change things. Well, there's jobs now related to social media that never existed in the past. So it's like, we don't know what we don't know. So it's kind of like crazy to think about, like, what would a tax professional do in 10 years, right? Right. To me, that's cool. Yeah, no, I love that. And, and I actually think that it's, it's really interesting because I've been talking to a lot of folks about new strategies, you know, because as the tax code changes, there's this notion that there's some folks who are really concerned about what that means for corporations and you look at the global tax rate. And so there's still always going to be work to done on the work to be done on the planning side, because even it's not tax work. I think sometimes when we talk about tax work to people who aren't in the profession, they think that tax work really is just spitting out returns. Um, I think that, I mean, people who listen to my show know that's not true, but a lot of folks (laughs) who, you know, if you just look at people talking about it, say on Twitter, they think that the entire tax profession is a few months of the year doing returns. So they don't think about all of the stuff that goes into whether it's auditing statements or whether it's doing planning based on uh, you know a, a, an anticipated change or if it's a change that you're doing, you know, not just a tax code change, but maybe you're thinking of acquiring a business. So it really is, I think it just frees up so much time, this idea of automation. But I do think another concern outside of the, the jobs, you know, what happens to our jobs is cost. Do you think that automation is going to be something that's going to be cost efficient across the board? I know that smaller firms is something I struggle with. How do you talk to people about kind of the return on investment in technology for especially a small to mid-sized firm? So I think that's where it kind of it replaces labor. And when I say it replaces labor, I don't mean it replaces people. But when you think about what it costs to do something today, you really have to look at what that cost of hiring a person is to do that work. And if you even think about 
people wanted to get cheaper. So what did they do? They went and they hired people in India or in the Philippines, right? Because mm-hmm. they were replacing labor because they wanted a cheaper price, right? Right. If you're doing something with automation and that costs the technology, guess what? There's a little bit of investment on the front end because yeah, your processes are going to change and you have to make sure that the technology is working and then it's right. But after that, that technology just keeps working and keeps working and keeps working, right? It never gets sick. It doesn't do other things <laughs> that people right. that people do. And so in reality, it's no more expensive than having a body there, right? It's just different. And so when you think about professional service firms as a whole, their main cost of goods and sold ingredient was labor. Well, now I would argue that 50% of that cost of goods sold should be technology and 50% should be labor. And everything that you can put in technology to automate should be automated. And then the only things that should not be automated are the things that only humans can do. And I would say, again, that goes with customer service, that goes with planning, that goes with all the higher value services. So that's really important. And I think I think we haven't thought about that before. We haven't thought about how our technology should really be a cost of what we produce as opposed to overhead. Right. And so that's like a new thing to think about for anyone who's in professional services because technology to them has always been overhead. But I'm saying, no, you should be creating a productized service offering and it should really be part of what it is you sell. And I know that this is not something that you're not like a technology coach, even though you have this role um, in, in strategy, but how do you or can you give advice to people who might be listening who don't know how to get started? Because I know it's it's really interesting to me when I've done a few of these conversations, whether it's been at a conference or whether it's been on, on the program, and people will send feedback that says, I heard somebody talk about how great it is to do an app or to invest in technology, but I don't know how to get started. Do you have advice for somebody who's kind of sitting and thinking, you know what, I've done something the same way for 20 years. I know I need to change, but I don't know where to get started. I wouldn't even know, you know, do I Google AI, (laughs) AI for taxes? Like, how does that happen? Yeah. So I think you start with just educating yourself, right? So you start Googling, you start reading, you start researching just the way you would research tax law, right? Just start learning about it, right? And then what you'll find is you'll find, I don't want to say experts or thought leaders or whatever, but you'll kind of figure out who's talking about this stuff all the time. And then talk to your peers, right? See what other people are doing. Talk to anyone who's talking about like a cloud-based firm or they're talking about automation, right? And like, just kind of connect with them. And that's what that's where I started learning is really on Twitter. And that was some of the stuff that we did when we first started talking because it was like, you know, it was this, this great forward-thinking group of people who you could bounce ideas off of and you could hear what they were doing and how things were changing, right? So then like, do some basic research connected to your peers and then just start. And I know it's hard when like you say, just start, but Part of it is, you know, thinking about just saying intentionally, okay, this is where I want to move to. And now I'm going to start doing something to get there. Because if you don't start doing anything, I think we get, we just get paralyzed and we don't move because then we get overwhelmed by all the automation. And, you know, but I think there's enough webinars out there now. I think there's enough, you know, just content out there on the web counting today, all those places where you can start and get some pretty good information about like things that you can do to get your firm moving in the right direction. And I think some of it is just understanding that you're going to have to, as you mentioned, just dive in. Because I, even though I've written about this and talked about this for a number of years, 
I've actually been really reluctant to embrace a lot of the technology, which I, I know probably shocks some people, but people not people who know me like really well, like my husband, it's no surprise. He does, he's far ahead of me on the technology side, but I'm a control freak. And so it actually like felt painful, this idea of giving up something that I used to do by hand. And a great example is scheduling. So <laughs> I I have had friends for years who use AI for scheduling, and I firmly rejected it for many, many years because I felt like it was dehumanizing a little bit. And then I was giving up control. Like, I want to set my own schedule. Right. And then at some point, it was just a little overwhelming, my schedule. So I did switch to an automatic scheduler, life changer, just life changer in terms of freeing up time for collaboration instead of sending 10 emails back and forth saying, how about two o'clock on July the 3rd? You know, it's so it's so life-changing, but I do think that there are certain personality types that even when you can see the benefit of it, it's really hard to let go. And, and I could see where especially people in the tax profession would be like that, because if you're somebody who's done calculations by hand, or if you're someone who is used to always controlling the process from intake to submission of, of the forms, I could see where it'd be a little scary. Well, so this is funny too, right? Like I always think, so this is a really good analogy. Do you go to the ATM or the cash machine? Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Absolutely. So when you put in your information, doesn't it always spit out the right amount of cash? Has it ever given you the wrong amount of cash? I wish that it had, but it has not. <laughs> so I think like that's, like we talk ourselves into these beliefs that aren't necessarily true, right? Mm-hmm. Like how many times is the cash machine giving you the wrong amount, right? Yeah. And so like, that's kind of the way we have to go with like, when we think about artificial intelligence and it's like, you don't even need to know how to do it. It knows like the engineers know how to program it. It just gives you the right answers. And that's what you have to think about, right? Like, so I think a lot of times in our accountant brain, right? We want to check and double check everything. And And in reality, chances are you're going to check it and you're going to double check it, but it's going to be just fine, just the way you go to the cash machine. And and I think that's important because I think, you know, sometimes we have these self-limiting beliefs, right? Where we think that something is really going to happen, but it's really not true because they've really perfected it so that the, because when you're talking about artificial intelligence and machine learning, for those of you who don't understand it, I'll do a brief background on it. If you think about Netflix, right? So Netflix is is driven by machine learning. So the first time you watch a movie, it records it. And now the second time you watch a movie, it knows that. And then it's looking at a bunch of different data points on those movies. And then it's going to make a suggestion the third time. And it's going to say, oh, you like romantic comedies. I'm going to give you three other suggestions that you're 98% going to like, right? So we've Mm -hmm. all experienced that on Netflix. Well, then your husband comes along and he... He puts in a different movie and now it messes up your, your probability rating. But yes, in I reality, do this right? all of the time. Yes. But in reality, that's all machine learning is, right? Is like you're training the machine to kind of make, based on data points, kind of to make decisions. But the cool thing about a computer is if it doesn't know, it doesn't know. So if it can't get to 90% probability, 98%, whatever that probability number is based on, you know, how the, engineers have programmed it, it spits it out and says, I don't know what to do with this. So it's like, all you have to do is look at the exceptions, not all the repetitive stuff. And that's where I think, again, 
if you understand how machine learning works, it's not so intimidating because you know it's only going to market if it knows it's like at that highest percentile. If it's not, it's going to spit it out and it's going to say, hey, accountant, hey, tax professional, you need to look at this number because, I, because it doesn't make sense to me, right? And so when you, when you understand that, I think it's a lot easier to kind of get comfortable with the technology. Right. And I love, first of all, that was a great explanation. But secondly, I love the thing that you said just before that, which is that you don't need to know how it works. I mean, I think it's good to understand the underlying, what you just explained about how you teach it, right? But I love that you said that you don't need to know how it works. And I think when you and I talked about this before, you talked about it maybe in the realm of your car, right? Like you don't have to know how the car works because it always just does, right? Somebody else has spent the time learning how the car works. Right. Or Uber, right? (laughs) I think Uber is a good example, right? People say, oh, do you know how Uber works? No, I just know the car shows up. I press the button and the car comes. Right, Right, right. Yeah. But I do think that sometimes we do get a little hung up, right? It goes back to being a control freak, especially again, I think there's probably a disproportionate number of us in the profession. But, you know, we feel like we have to understand everything and you don't. And so here's a practical application of machine learning too, right? Like think about if you had a huge data set and your, you had it programmed where it could go through and it could find all your M1 adjustments without you having to kind of export your GL to Excel and, you know, kind of figure out what those items are and then create all these separate work papers and do all that, right? What if you had a program that could sit on top of tax software and basically look through that data and find anything subject to an M1. And it would pull the M1 adjustments out. And then things that it thought could be an M1 adjustment, it would say, hey, tax professional, look at this. I think this is it, but it's not, right? So how much time would that save you? And how cool would that be if you were able to have that automated as opposed to you looking through that complete GL looking for those M1 adjustments? Right. And the other thing that I've heard along those lines is, you know, the the IRS relies on algorithms to figure out like audits, right? So if you had the same kind of, uh, you know, infrastructure where where your software or your um, program could say, hey, this thing looks out of the ordinary, um, you know, compared to the last 10 years of, you know, S returns or whatever, um, that would allow you to be proactive about the way that you either submit that return or, or the conversation. Right? Yeah, absolutely. The, or the conversations that you have with the client that say that, you know what, this could come back. So let's think about how we need to be prepared. I think that's fascinating because a lot of times, you know, and, and we talked about this a little bit at the top of the program that you get really overwhelmed. You know, you're, you're pushing things out. You're convinced they're right. I'm not suggesting that they're not right, but you don't know what's going to be the thing that gets someone's attention, whether it's IRS or the state. And within reason, I mean, there are a few random audits. We know that that happens. But most of the time when the service or the state pulls a return, it's for a reason. And if you could actually get a handle on, you know, what looks different, how was income different than it was in years before, what piece of this return looks a lot different than it did five years ago, it gives you an advantage over the tax authorities. I mean, truly, that's a game changer too, because now this is where value-based advisory comes in, right? Because now you really can help protect your client or again, maybe it's okay, but then you realize like what you're going into when you're submitting it and how you're going to substantiate it or all those other things. 
that sometimes we just, you can be proactive. And I think sometimes because we're so pressed for time, we become reactive instead of proactive. And it wouldn't it be nice if you could like walk in in the morning and know that your work was really proactive driven instead of data entry driven. And you had this opportunity to really think about, you know, opportunities instead of just trying to get work done, Oh, absolutely. especially during tax season, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And it's funny to me because even when you are proactive, like let's say you, you know, you pull the 2019 return when you're looking at the 2020 return because you want to make sure that it looks about the same. Right. It's reasonable. Right. But you've forgotten that the 2017 return had a little bit different story because of something else. And now the 2020 return doesn't look the same. I think that's kind of where, you know, where this is really helpful because I think that, you know, as people, our memories aren't as good as as computers, right? So we can think about how things look different. We only have so much time. And I know that people want to talk about how much time they devote to their clients. And, you know, we all do our best. But realistically, when you're submitting a return, most tax professionals are not pulling the last three to six years of returns and comparing them, especially for corporate clients. I mean, before you send them out, you just, that's a time issue, right? So if you had a program that could scan not just bottom lines, but like line items and say, this is the thing that stands out. You know, you can have a different conversation and it's not even just for audits. It's for savings, right? For if we could have done this differently um, next year, we could do this differently and you could actually benefit. And here are the things that I recommend. Or like to me, think about like if the tax law changes come out, right? And think about how like we have to read through them. I mean, you're always there on the cutting edge, right? You're you're kind of, we're doing the analysis before so that as soon mm-hmm. as the laws are passed, we're like ready on it. But what if, because they now have the ability to use artificial intelligence to really understand those laws and apply them to tax software, like how quickly you could do planning and stuff like that. Now that's not here today, but it's coming. And to me, that's the cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, we have a little bit of it now with modeling. But I just think about how much more advanced it could be the more information that you have. Because going back to your point about Netflix, the more information that you can make available, that you know, the more the that smarter that, it gets. Yeah, exactly. No, it's I think that's fascinating. And I think that's where when you get really excited about the possibilities, that's where it is. It's not just and I and I and again, I, I not to you know beat a dead horse, but I think this is where people get stuck a little. It's not just data entry that it's replacing, it's actually it's creating not just a smarter return. I'm, I'm using air quotes, smarter return. <laughs> but I actually think it's also creating a better service because it allows us to do a deeper level of analysis than we would be otherwise. For sure. And, and the other thing we have to think about, though, too, is like, okay, if we're in firms, that person who used to do the data entry now is going to become a more sophisticated professional much sooner in their careers, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's pretty cool too, right? Like, it, could you imagine if like when you were in school and a couple of years out, instead of doing, we were talking about digital work papers versus old school where we spent a lot of time copying, right? We spent two hours copying the source documents before we even started to prep the return because we had to have documentation before scanners, right? Mm-hmm. And so could you imagine now if you were to graduate and you didn't even have to worry about it, you just really... Um, the returns were pretty much done and you now got to spend the time on the analysis of it. How cool would that be, right? So like the next generation professional is going to think about what they do completely different than how we think about it. Right. And to your point, actually, another of my colleagues was actually talking about a very specific instance where 
he observed first years spending a lot of time on PPP applications and in terms of just gathering the data, right? Like getting what they needed for those applications for forgiveness, like all of that stuff in theory. I mean, this hopefully this is right. That should be something that we don't ever have again, these PPP applications. And so, so it was a one year thing, right? More or less. I mean, I know it's still ongoing a little bit, but more or less, like if you're an expert on PPP, that probably won't get you anywhere in five years. But to your point about becoming better faster, right? The first years that spent their entire first year working on these applications or doing this thing that possibly could have been done differently with the aid of technology, they're behind a whole year in their career, right? Because they've spent a year dedicated to filling out paperwork for a thing that we may not have next year. And I do find that, again, when you talk about how does it make your firm better, it frees up you know, these early professionals from having to do grunt work a little bit. And it lets them learn why does this matter? What kind of information should we have been gathering? Why does this person not qualify for PPP forgiveness? How could they have known sooner? Yeah. And it also makes us as partners have to up our game, right? So now we need to teach those skills a lot sooner, right? So Mm -hmm. because if they're not going to be doing all the data entry, how are we going to help them really get those soft skills? How are we going to help them get those client skills that the computer can't do, right? How are we going to help them understand the strategic initiatives and the context of all the data that they're consuming, right? So it's, it's interesting too, like, what are we going to do? We're going to have to be busy helping the next generation learn too, right? So I don't think there's a shortage of work for us. It just means that we'll have more capacity to do different things and the things that we hopefully enjoy more than data entry. I hope that you didn't go to school to become an accountant because you like to do data entry. I hope so. I hope that's (laughs) not the case, but maybe. Right. No, same with law. I mean, I think a lot of people that go into tax law do it because they like to solve problems. And those problems aren't necessarily, did I put the right numbers into the 1041? It is, how can we reduce the tax burden for these beneficiaries? Or how can we choose a a year end that benefits this estate? Or, you know, those kinds of things. That's why you, I mean, that's the fun part. That's the, that's the meat of it, right? That's the good stuff, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. So obviously no crystal ball, but like, where do you, like when you talk about Obviously, you don't know the future, but where do you think that this takes us a little bit? So this is the world according to Jody, right? Okay. So no, this I'm is excited. I want to know. Right. So I'm going to put my disclaimer out there. But what if, and it may not be 10 years, it may be further down there, like financial statements, say, aren't financial statements anymore, that we really look at things in context of data, right? So if you think about a financial statement right now, it's a way to make sense of data. Mm -hmm. But if you look at data analytics, et cetera, if there's a different way to do financial analysis where we're not actually creating financial statements. So I know it's kind of like out there and people think that it's nutty, but on the flip side of it, when you really see what the technology space is doing with data, it really becomes more and more an opportunity, right? Like that could potentially, maybe in 20 years, what does a financial statement look like? Is it the same financial statement that we're looking at today? And I would I would say it's probably not going to be what we're doing today. So that actually raises a really interesting question. So in the profession, and I'm thinking tax profession broadly, which includes CPAs and EAs and tax attorneys and and whatnot, 
law schools and business schools in particular are not particularly nimble when it comes to change. Some of them better than others, but some of them do not embrace change. Do you think that technology will force them to change or do you think that it'll be a slow evolution? Because like if, if what you're saying is that financial statements won't look the same, then that means that if you're still learning about financial statements the way you've always been taught, that it's not helpful, right? So do you think it'll be a pushback or like, how do you, how do you see that evolving? Do you think that there's going to be a lot of professors that look and say, hey, this is changing, let's change the approach? Yeah. So the change is already kind of happening, right? So the CPA exam is changing and it's including automation and, and data as part of it, right? So even like our board is kind of changing the way the CPA exam is. But what's happening is, is the big four are realizing that the accounting graduates don't have the skills that they need to do what they need them to do. And mm-hmm. so what they're doing is they're making big investments in universities to change how the accounting students are oh, that's trained. And so and it's funny because you would think the university would pay for it, but no, like <laughs> industry, the big four firms are paying universities to change the way they teach accounting because they need more digital skills. I mean, they need RPA, they want artificial intelligence, they want machine learning. They want all of that data stuff as part of the accounting degree now, right? They don't want accountants to sit on the other side of IT, right? Like really they want a blending of the two. So that's that's what the future accountant is going to look like. That's cool because I haven't heard the same in the legal profession. So that's really fascinating. And I wonder if there is a similar initiative and it's just been quiet. Well, but you don't have big firms like there aren't like big four, right? In the law profession. Well, yeah, I mean, ours is is like (laughs) AMLAW 200, right? So it's a little... A little bigger, but yeah, no, I mean, you're right. I think accounting tends to be a little more concentrated at the top than law because we do have, you know, mega firms, but there tends to be a lot of them. So that is interesting. But on the, on the tax side, though, sometimes taxes, depending on the firm, just a tiny bit. I mean, you could have an amazingly large firm. And I mean, I actually, when we were in the city, my husband, of course, was an attorney as well. And he worked for two of the largest law firms in the country. And one of them had a significantly more robust tax practice than the other because, you know, they all kind of evolve around different concepts. So, yeah, I think maybe because accounting is so focused in business school, that might be a little, be treated a little more differently. The other thing that I think is pushing the market and pushing technology that it didn't used to is we have a lot of venture capital now and equity coming into our space because mm-hmm. they've realized that accounting firms are profitable and that's including tax professionals, EAs, bookkeeping, all of that stuff. They realize that a lot of it can be automated and that there's a lot of profit to be made there. Mm-hmm. And so where money comes, change happens, right? So it's interesting to me, whereas I think in the past, maybe things wouldn't have changed as fast. It's because there wasn't money. But if money is pushing, then again, that goes with the big four too, right? The money is pushing the education. And now the money is pushing really the change and the adoption of technology because those firms can get a lot more profitable. And if you follow the money, you find the success, right? Isn't that what always goes, right? Is that a good thing? So here's where I'm thinking as you're talking about this. Like one of the things that we have heard a lot of coming out of the pandemic is that tax profession is probably still going to grow. There's going to be some, I think, some serious growing pains because of some you know, remote work and and quality of life issues. But I think, you know, the profession as a whole is still projected to do really well. 
do you think if you talk about money, do you worry that like we have an Amazon.com accounting firm or that sort of thing? Does that scare you or does that excite you? Well, to me, it excites me because it means it's going to push us to move faster, right? Because we've been hanging with the laggards. <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't say that, but like the the risk adverse firm partners who weren't willing to invest in technology, right? Mm-hmm. And now Pilot raised $100 million and Jeff Bezos led the round, right? So that sounds like that's going to be an Amazon-led accounting firm, right? And they're doing right. CFO advisory and tax work, right? So So they're doing it all, right? So because of that, what I'm hoping it does is it's going to push all these professionals to really make the changes they should have made 10 years ago or started to make 10 years ago, right? It's going to push them over to realize, yeah, look, we've got to change because we don't want to be blockbuster, right? If Netflix is here, we can't be blockbuster. And you hope that's motivation, right? And I'm sure you see this too, right? Like in the accounting profession as a whole, there are a lot of partners who don't want to be part up and coming professionals who don't want to be partners because they don't want to be partners in an old school firm. Mm-hmm. And so they say, look, I'm going to leave. I'm going to do it my own way because I'm going to use automation and I can't. Right. So that's happening as well. So I think it's a good thing because I think it's pushing the evolution of innovation. But I'm sure there are some accountants out there who don't think it's a good thing. Right. Well, I mean, there's always going to be, again, I think there's a, a certain resistance to change. And sometimes that works in your favor. Not always, but sometimes. <laughs> Well, right. And would you still want to be rewinding tapes? Again, think about it. Oh my gosh. With the pencil? Yeah. yeah. Right. We get so upset about what we don't know. But yet, if you look back 10 years, you think, God, how did we ever do that? I explained to my kids, like you used to like now, if they don't like a song, they're like, skip it, skip it. I'm like, used to have to walk over to the turntable and either physically move the arm to go to the next thing. You know, now you can literally sit in your chair and be like, skip, skip. You you just tell Alexa to change it too, right? Think about it. Yeah, no, it's awesome. So I think if you put it in that perspective that we really have evolved over the last 35 years or whatever in the profession, and then you look back and you say, well, a lot has changed, but really we're still tax professionals. We're still doing the things that we love. We're still serving clients and we're still, you know, really making a difference. Then it doesn't seem so intimidating. Agreed. Well, thank you. This has been awesome. I think it's been really beneficial for folks to think in different ways. Because again, I do think sometimes it can be a little scary to think about technology because there is this whole, can I give up control? What happens to my job? Will the future overwhelm me? And I think that you've given us a lot of perspective and things to think about. So thanks. That was terrific. Well, thank you for having me today. And if people wanted to find you and you wanted to be found, either on the web or on social media, where would you send them? So if you go to Twitter, I'm at Jody Paydar CPA and I'm on LinkedIn. So just Jody Paydar. So feel free to connect with me on social. That's probably the best place to find me. Awesome. And I'll be sure to put that in the show notes as well as links to buy your books. And thanks again. Awesome. Thank you. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be.